Thanks for joining us today for the Eagle Drive Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Chris Thorne. Eagle Drive is a Bible-believing New Testament Baptist Church where Jesus is preeminent and the gospel of grace is at center stage. We are devoted to connecting with God, growing together, serving others, and sharing our faith. If you would like to know more about our ministry, visit EagleDriveBaptist.com. Now, here's today's message. This is about getting back to functioning optimally. Uh, There's a lot of things in our life that are not functioning the way that they should function. And again, as we said last week, to reset something is to restore it to its original design. To set something back to its original purpose and its original intent. And as we looked last week, we started with the heart. Because the heart is the very most important thing in our bodies and our minds. And the Bible talks about keeping our heart, protecting our heart. And this thought continues as we look at our minds. And as it was discussed in the video, this little bumper video this morning, Psalm chapter 27, verses 1 through 4, I love this passage. I was reading it this week and came across this video. It says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. Now when David is speaking here, he's speaking of a literal army, literal adversaries. Now a lot of us today, we don't face a literal army every day. But we do face many battles. And as I was thinking about this in preparation for the sermon this week, I realized that I have great battles in my life as well, and you have great battles And one of the greatest battles that I face is not a battle on any field. It's the battle within my mind. And I dare say that many of us face the same battle because as the video suggested, and really even in my own little research, uh, some researchers state that we have between 50 to 80,000 thoughts that cross our minds on a daily basis. Think about that, 50 to 80,000 thoughts. And as David finishes out that psalm or those Uh, that, That verse number four, he says, One thing have I desired of the Lord. Talking about everything that just happened, the war that was raging around him, uh, the battle, the adversaries, the enemy. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Again, thinking of David's battle, I think about the great battle that we face, and it's the battle of our mind. If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter number 4 this morning. This is where we're going to spend our focus in this message. Philippians chapter 4, I'm going to read two verses. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8 and 9. So once you find your place, if you would stand, if you could. Philippians chapter number 4, starting in verse number 8. The Bible says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do and the God of peace shall be with you. Now we studied this passage in our Philippian study last year. We didn't go in depth in these verses But Paul is addressing the thought life, as many of us struggle with this. And he says some things in verse number 8, he gives eight qualifiers. And then verse number 9, he tells us to put them into action this morning. So I want to focus on that this morning. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this day. And God, I pray that you'd help us for the next few minutes to have a mind that is focused on you. 
Lord, I know there's a lot of thoughts that are going on right now. Some thoughts might be very negative. Some thoughts might be very critical. Some thoughts might be very cynical. Some thoughts might be very praiseworthy. But God, I pray that you'd help us to just focus on you. Forget about everything else that's going on around us. Forget about what we like. Forget about what we don't like. And focus solely on you and your word this morning. Heavenly Father, we love you. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this passage. I thank you for what you teach us in the scriptures concerning, concerning our thoughts and concerning our minds. We love you in Christ in my pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. I want you to finish this phrase this morning. You are what you eat. There it is. We're not talking about food this morning, but so often you are what you eat. And I love that, you know, when I was a kid growing up, you know, especially, you know, when you ate those candy like nerds, haha, <laughs> you're a nerd or whatever it is. But I started thinking about that. More specifically, you are what you eat. Let's put it in this way. You are what you think about. You are what you think about. So think about that as we finish this thought and the message this morning. What do you think about? As I said, there's at least 50,000, upwards to 80,000 thoughts that cross our mind on a daily basis. That's a lot of thoughts. And I dare say that there are many of those thoughts that probably aren't right thoughts. Probably critical, probably cynical, probably negative, probably things that we don't like, probably things that are impure. A lot of different thoughts go through our mind. Now, I started thinking about that this week. Imagine if someone were to give you $50,000 a day. Wouldn't that be awesome? I don't have $50,000 to give you. I don't even have $50 to give you. But imagine if someone gave you $50,000 a day. Most of us more than likely would probably plan out how we would spend that money, right? Because we have $50,000. We're not just going to blow it. Now, some people might blow it. But we'd probably plan out how we spend that money. Most of us do that with our money. We have retirement accounts and savings accounts and all this kind of stuff. But how many of us plan out our thoughts? Like, well, how, how can you plan out every thought? It, it's hard to, but the Bible gives us some principles. If we focus on God and focus on his word, even when one of those negative thoughts come in, scripture will come to our mind and get us right back focused on Christ. So how often do we focus on Christ? How often do we plan out our thoughts? Again, the, the battle of our mind is where the struggle begins. With that dark thought, with the thought of despair, a thought of fear, a thought of inadequacy, a thought of greed, a thought of hopelessness, a thought of hatefulness, a thought of haughtiness, a thought of rage or bitterness, of displeasure, of criticism. Mark Twain once wrote, What a wee little part of a person's life are his acts and his words. His real life is led in his head and is known to none but himself. All day long, the mill of his brain is grinding, and his thoughts, not those other things, are his history. Ralph Waddle Emerson once said, Beware of what you set your mind on, because that you surely will become. And as I said, the, the core truth of this message this morning is, you are what you think about. You are what you think about. You know, it'd be interesting, and really I don't think any of us would want this to happen, but it'd be very interesting if we could put on the TV what is going through some of our thought right now, what is going through some of our mind. That would be scary, wouldn't it? It really would. Most of you are shaking your head and hope that doesn't happen, hope they never invent anything that can happen like that. But that would be a very scary thought, and that's the thing. You look at someone on the surface and you think they might be doing good. 
But there's a struggle. There's an internal struggle going on. And before I dive into this message this morning, I want to look at four kinds of negative thinking that affects all of us. The first kind of negative thinking, I've already kind of addressed this in previous weeks, is self-pity. Anybody ever felt sorry for yourself? All right, a couple of us have. I've discussed this because I've been there. There's been many times in my life over the past several years, and not really just several years, the past 35 plus years, that I have felt sorry for myself. I've looked at other people and what they're doing and the seeming joy that they have on the surface, and I begin to feel sorry for myself. All of us fall into this trap sooner or later. I think it's easy to think that way. You know, life is hard for us all, and the saying goes, into each life some rain must fall. But sometimes it feels like our neighbors are basking in sunshine when the downpour just keeps coming into our life. So it's easy to think thoughts of self-pity. The self-pity person is saying things like, well, you don't know what I'm going through. Or you try living with this for 24 hours a day and see how happy you are. Look, I've been there. You try living with this problem and you see how happy you are. Well, that's just focusing on myself and focusing on my problems. Then we laugh because probably some of us have said those things. So the first kind of negative thinking is self-pity. The second kind of negative thinking continues on is blaming. Anybody ever blame someone else? Husbands and wives, let's all look down. We've done that. We've blamed someone else for our problems. You know, I started thinking about that this week too. Um, you know, there's been many times I've gone out to eat with people. Oh, it's, that's, sometimes that's the worst, you know, when you go out to eat with someone that, you know, that these people are never happy. And, and as soon as the food comes, they're always going to find something wrong with the food. And then they're going to blame the waiter and the server and stuff like that. It's not their fault. There's someone else cooking it and different things like that. But here's the point. We're always looking to place the blame on someone else or something else, right? Because it's never our fault. It's never our fault when something goes wrong in our life. You know, this happens in the church a lot. You know, people don't want to take responsibility for their own life, so they place the blame on the pastor, and that's okay. Place the blame on the staff. And what I've been trying to focus on the past three and a half plus years is that all of us collectively as individuals, as Christians, as children of God, are part of God's family. We all share in this responsibility, this burden, and it's very easy. Well, it's not about me, or it's, it's not up to me. It's not my job. It's someone else's job. What we're doing is we're placing the blame on someone else, and we have this negative thinking, this negative outlook. In order for reset to take place, what we have to do is look introspectively. We have to look inward. Look, this series is not for your neighbor. It's for you. But isn't it easy for us to be like, man, that's exactly what they need. I'm glad Mike and Tasha are back because I can pick on Mike again. Amen. It's very easy for Mike to be like, I really hope Tasha is listening to this because she struggles greatly. Right? No, let's not focus on that. I'm trying to give my wife a break. It's our anniversary coming up this week, so I'm really trying to, you know, be nice. But it's very easy to blame, to blame shift, to, to look at someone else and, well, it's all their fault because we never want to take responsibility. Let's continue on. Third kind of negative thinking or negative thought process is not only self-pity, not only blaming, but an unwillingness to change. I know no one has that unwillingness to change, right? None of us. But this more or less follows the first two categories. Once you immerse yourself in self-pity, once you discover that you are a victim, the logical conclusion is that you cannot and will not change. Unfortunately, this type of negative thinking tends to reinforce itself. Since you can't change or won't change, this 
behavior can't be your own fault. So you never have to face it honestly. This person is saying, in a sense, it's no use trying. I'm never going to change. This is who I am. This is how I'm going to be. This is my personality, so you just have to accept it. You know, I've shared some thought process with that as I've taught teenagers in the past that I've had some basically admitted to me, you know what, that's how my mom was, it's how my sister was, it's how my dad was, it's how my brother was, it's how my cousin was, it's how my whoever was, so I'm going to be the same way. You don't have to be the same way. But they're basically saying, because of this, because that's happened, that's how I'm going to be. And even all of us have different personalities, we know that. (laughs) Within our own family, there are different personalities. There are strong personalities, there are weak personalities, there's every personality in between. Now, with the personalities, there are a lot of strengths and weaknesses, but I, I see in my own life that a lot of my weaknesses come out and not my strengths. And I, I blame things on my personality, and I tell my wife, well, Amanda, this is just who I am, so I'm not going to change. You're just going to have to live with it. Well, that's wrong. That's wrong thinking, and that's unbiblical thinking. I can change, but I don't want to change. Because I like feeling sorry for myself. I like holding on to things. I like holding it over people's heads. I like blaming other people for the problems instead of owning up to my own problems. Instead of realizing that maybe I'm at fault. And again, that's what this series is about. Looking inwardly to see if there's something in our lives that needs to change. But then it leads to this fourth type of negative thinking. And this is very important. Not only is there self-pity and blaming unwillingness to change, but then it leads to anger and bitterness. Usually this is the logical outcome. Once you begin to pity yourself, you become a victim. It's not my fault. And you let everyone else know it's not your fault, it's someone else's fault, and you play that victim card. I've seen that happen many times in my life, and I've seen it happen within this church because I've looked in the mirror and I've seen it in my own life. You play the victim card. Because you're not the source of the problems, it's someone else. And when others suggest otherwise, what happens is you get very angry. You become bitter. You become divisive and defensive. That ever happened to you guys? So when someone tries to correct you, whether it's in love or in hate, whatever it is, you get very defensive. Man, that happens to me a lot. When someone tries to correct me, and that happens a lot in a negative connotation, but it's very easy for me to get angry. Right, Amanda? I'm just kidding. It's very easy for me to get angry. It's very easy for me to get bitter. And I'm sure if it's happening in my life, I'm sure it's happening in your life as well. What we do is we hold on to grudges. And I've seen this because, again, I've looked in the mirror and I've seen it in my own life. That I'd rather hold on to that grudge so I can hold it over that person's head. But the more angry I get, the more bitter I get, the less joy I have the less peace I have, the less I'm really able to thrive in my Christian life as this whole year has suggested. And I've seen these negative thoughts in my life and I've seen them in the life of our church. And again, I want you to look inwardly. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your brother, your sister, your husband, your wife, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever it is sitting across the aisle from you. Look at yourself. Do I have these kinds of thoughts in my life? That self-pity, that blaming other people, that unwillingness to change, that anger or bitterness? 
Again, we hold grudges. Even though we say we don't, we glare and turn our head when we see our enemy coming towards us. We shut them out in the cold. You know, the Bible has a name for people like this. They're called scorners. But this series, Reset, is about getting back to the original purpose, the original intent, the original design of something. God created us to thrive. He created us to find joy and be joyful people. Mark this down. I don't know if I have this in your notes, but this is a good thing to write down. And I'm not going to have it up on the screen more than likely, but you cannot be a joyful person if you're full of criticism. Let that sink in. (laughs) You cannot be a joyful person if you're full of criticism. You cannot be a joyful person if you're full of cynicism, if you're full of negative thoughts. If you have these thought processes in your life, you cannot fully be a joyful person, a joyful Christian. You cannot, will not thrive in your Christian life. Well, I don't really care. You don't know what they've done to me, and I'm going to hold on to this. Okay, that's fine. Hold on to it all you want, but you'll never be the person that God wants you to be. You'll never be truly joyful, and that's what Paul is trying to get across in Philippians, and over and over through his letters, through his epistles to the churches, he deals with the thoughts. He deals with the minds. As we said last week, it's very important for us to reset our hearts, to make sure our heart is in tune with God, in tune with his word, so that we can truly worship God. But the natural progression is, if our hearts aren't right, I guarantee you, your thought process is not going to be right. So think about that. If you struggle with your thoughts, and I dare say many of us, if not all of us do, you've got to look at your thoughts, but you also have to look at your heart. And as we'll look next week, it just continues on. That's why I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity. That's important. Bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Here's a powerful truth. Negative thinking leads to negative living. Negative thinking leads to negative living. And again, I look in the mirror, I look at myself, and I see this process continue so often that when I think negatively, I live negatively. And it affects everyone around me, especially my family. My wife gets the brunt of it. My children get the brunt of it. Because I don't want to look inwardly. I don't want to focus on my own problems. I want to focus on everyone else's problems. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul gives us some great principles on how to truly reset our minds. And in order to reset our minds, we can't just do it by ourselves. We need God's help. We need the Lord in our lives. But we also need to make sure we're focusing on Him, on His Word. So with all those thoughts that go through our minds on a continual basis, on a consistent basis, how often are we dwelling on His Word? You know, many of you have really started upping your Bible reading and your prayer life, and that's great. And I'm sure, I guarantee, it's probably helped you in your thought life. Because when those thoughts come and and arise, you realize, okay, that's wrong. And God's given you something in His Word to go back to. You know, most of us that come to church at any point in our life and that might claim to be a Christian know just enough of the Scriptures to make us dangerous. And I say that meaning this. We know just enough of God's Word to know what we're supposed to do, but we don't do it. 
or we'll take something and completely twist it out of context. Because I've done that. Because we've heard something, we've read something. Oh, this is what the Bible says. This is how we need to live. Or, or we're helping someone else. This is how you need to live. But then if you actually study God's word and the whole context of that passage or other passages, you see that maybe our life is contradicting that. Our life should be in concordance to what God's word says. And as I've said many times from this pulpit, God's word should be our guide, right? That should be our guide for life. Not the world, not our wife, not our husband. There's nothing wrong with husbands and wives helping you and encouraging you, but they should encourage you back to the Bible, what God's word says. And, and even in my own life, and I'm very thankful for my wife for this, when she encourages me, she always tries to point back to Scripture. Because that's what's going to help me. It's not going to help me, her just going off of me or, or saying things that I need to hear. She's telling me what the Bible says. She's telling me what God says in his word. And I can, you know, laugh at it. I can just choose to ignore it. But if I do, I'm not ignoring her. I'm ignoring God. So here are the principles that Paul gives us. Our thoughts form the basis of our behavior. It helps us find peace, and we're all going to struggle keeping our minds focused on God, but Paul offers us help. In this verse number eight, it's a very simple outline today. Many of these are taken exactly from the, the verse. Some of the words I, I, I switched a little bit to help us understand. The first thing he says is what we're supposed to think on and how we're supposed to think is on whatever is true. Whatever is true. Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true. The word true means true as to fact. It denotes the actuality of a thing. This is talking about something that is real, something that is genuine. Dr. Walter Cavert reported a survey on worry that indicated that, <laughs> this is interesting, only 8% of the things that people worry about were legitimate matters of concern. The other 92% were either imaginary, never happened, or involved matters over which people had no control anyway. And I, I've even shared that philosophy in my own life, that I, I'm one of those people that try to, in a sense, plan out everything that could possibly happen. You know, if I'm going into a meeting with someone, I've got a hundred different scenarios that probably will happen, but most of the time they never happen. So what we're supposed to think on is not thoughts that are negative, thoughts that are critical, thoughts that are false, we're supposed to think on things that are true. How do we focus on that which is true in a world that doesn't tell the truth, doesn't know the truth? Well, it goes back to God. John 3, 33, He that hath received his testimony hath set to his seal that God is true. If you want to know what the truth is, go back to God. Go back to his word. Go back to Jesus Christ. Again, the Bible should be our moral compass. Not what the world says, not what a politician says, not what the media says, what God's word says. And I've thought about this even as a pastor. There are a lot of times when, when people get upset with me or, or the church, and you know, that's fine, we all have an opinion. But do we ask ourselves, is this true? Do we ask God, God help me to know what is true? Reveal this to me. Reveal what the truth is or we already have our conclusions. Well, I know the truth because I trust this person. Well, do you trust that person more than you trust God? Because God is true. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar, and that's the truth. All men are liars. God is not. Jesus is not. 
So if you want to know what the truth is, focus on him. Focus on his word. And that's what Paul says. It says in Romans chapter 3, 4, God forbid, yea, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings and mightest overcome when thou art judged. God is truth. Satan is the opposite of God. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He wants to corrupt our minds, our way of thinking. And it happens and it creeps in within the church and within the families. People don't know what is true because they're not focusing on God. They're focusing on themselves. They're focusing on the circumstances. They're focusing on the culture. They're focusing on anything and everything but God. The Holy Spirit wants to control our minds through the truth. But the devil tries to control them through his lies. And if you're more inclined to believe what the news says instead of what God's word says, you're setting yourself up for failure. Whenever we believe a lie, Satan takes over. So how are we supposed to reset our minds? First of all, thinking on whatever is true. Second thing, as we continue on, whatsoever things are honest. So whatever is honest, the word Honest is talking about things that are honorable, worthy, revered, highly respected. It refers to that which is majestic and awe-inspiring. One person translated it as noble seriousness. The word is used in other places to describe the proper qualities of an elder. Now think about this. Is your thought life honorable? Are the things that come out of your mind or come into your mind are they truly honorable? Again, if we could display them up here on the screens with people like, oh my goodness, can't believe that person's thinking that. Well, how do we think things that are honest? Go back to God's word. Focus on him, not our circumstances, not our problems. Do you ponder, do you think about things that are noble and of serious purpose, or do you dwell on things that are friv frivolous and trivial? Too often in my life, I focus on the trivial <laughs> instead of actually what is serious. And what I mean is Jesus Christ, his word, making sure I'm in line with him. How many of those 50, 60, 70, 80,000 thoughts in my life are actually God-centered? How many of those thoughts are Chris-centered? Whatever is true, whatever is honest. Third thing, whatever is right. The Bible says, whatsoever things are just. A good way to say this would be whatever is right, because this is speaking to that which is righteous and upright. It's about the divine standards of right versus wrong. And get this, what this means is in conformity to God's standards. It's not about, is this right in my eyes? Is this right in my neighbor's eyes? Or is this right in God's eyes? And I've said this before, and I don't, I don't mean to say this flippantly, but it's the truth. And I, I still struggle with some of this, but I honestly, I could care less what anyone thinks. And I don't say that flippantly, because what I care more about is what God thinks. Now, do I still struggle with how people think of me? Yes, I do. All of us do. But I try not to let them dictate my life. Now, it's hard for me not to do that. But what's more important to you is what your spouse thinks, what your neighbor thinks, for me, what another person in ministry thinks, 
or what God thinks. This word just is talking about that which is right versus that which is wrong. It's against God's standards and not our own standards. Again, if our thoughts were broadcast for the world to hear, would we be ashamed or embarrassed? If others knew what you were thinking, what would they think of you? Whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is right. He continues on, whatsoever things are pure, so whatever is pure. This word means undefiled, chaste, clean, holy. It touches the whole area of moral purity, but Paul was also addressing the sexual impurity that was going on in the culture around him. You know, I think it's very easy for us to think that, man, it's very wicked in today's culture, and it is, don't get me wrong. It's very wicked in today's culture, is it not? And a lot of that, the reason it's wicked, is because of things like this. Now, again, I, I thought about this last night, and it's, it's easy for us to think, man, the culture is so much different than the culture in Paul's day, and partly that's true, but our culture, it's not so much different in the sense of immorality is going on more than it was in Paul's day. It's we're more secret about it. Because we have a phone, we have a tablet, we can look at things that no one will ever know. We can have things come into our mind and our hearts that no one will ever know. But do you realize back in Paul's day, we don't necessarily have this a lot. There are some societies, some cultures that still happens, but a lot of those false pagan temples, there was sexual immorality and prostitution going on on the temple steps. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty wicked. I mean, you could literally be walking by and seeing fornication going on. It was a lot more open. Now it's open in some ways, but we're a lot more secretive about it. So are we truly thinking things that are pure? And again, with modern technology, sometimes it's very difficult to. Sometimes it's Maybe we just need to throw this away or put some locks on there that help us put ourselves accountable, have an accountability partner. I came across seven questions, and this is, this is more for men, but women struggle with the idea of purity as well. But I came across seven questions, I think he's going to throw them on the screen here in a minute, but that men should ask themselves daily to make sure they are staying pure. First question is this. Have I been with a woman in the past week in a way that could appear compromising? Second question is, have all my financial dealings been filled with integrity? Third question is, have I viewed any sexually explicit material? Fourth question is, have I spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Fifth question is, have I spent quality time with and given priority to my family? Sixth question is, have I fulfilled the mandates of my calling? And then the seventh question is very important, have I just lied to you? Because that happens when confronted with these questions, we might say, yeah, yeah, I haven't done that. But we're lying to ourselves, we're lying to other people. Paul says, think on things that are pure. How do impure thoughts get into your mind? Do they just happen? By chance, all of a sudden you're, you're sleeping at night and some impure thought comes into your mind? Now that can happen, but it's probably because of something that you allowed to come into your mind earlier, right? And we're going to hit on this a little bit later, but I started thinking about this. And God has really convicted me of this as well, but 
How can we expect to truly be joyful Christians, thrive in our Christian life, be righteous in God's eyes, when we're letting all kinds of filth and impurity in our minds on a daily basis? By what we read, by what we see on TV and the movies we watch. I'm just as guilty of this as the next person because what I do is I justify, oh, it's not that bad. (laughs) Well, is it helping me think on things that are true and honest and pure? Because if it's not, then how do I expect to live a holy life before God? I'm not asking everyone to throw away your TV. But what we need to do is consider what are we allowing into our lives? How can we stay pure before God? How can we have a pure marriage if we're allowing filth into our lives? As a Christian, we must say no to our sexual impure thoughts and focus on moral purity. But Paul continues. Not only whatever is truthful, whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is right, whatever is pure, the fifth thing, whatever is lovely. This is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It literally means love towards or to be loved. Paul is focusing on whatever calls forth or evokes love and admiration. Whatever is pleasing or agreeable to the heart, whatever stirs the affections and awakens pleasure in accordance with righteousness. You know, it has the idea of attracting loveliness as a magnet attracts iron, filings. So think about this. Do your thoughts automatically attach themselves to that which is beautiful and lovely? Look, a thought may be true and even right, but it might not be lovely. Here's a simple rule. If it's not lovely, if it's not provoking love or producing love towards or enabling us to be loved, then don't say it, don't think it, don't do it. Don't dwell on it, don't repeat it. Paul continues, the sixth thing, whatever is reputable. In the verse it says, whatsoever things are of good report. The word good report means reputable, highly regarded, worthy of the highest quality. In 1 Corinthians 13, it's a great chapter on charity or love. But Paul is addressing here that love believes the best about another person. It refuses to believe an evil report until there is evidence to establish it. But how many times do we believe an evil report without any evidence? Because I know this person. I was talking to a friend in ministry, it's a pastor in North Carolina, and completely unrelated to church or this church or anything like that, just something that's happening in, in the ministry realm in the country right now. And it's very easy for people to ignore problems of sin in someone else because I know that person. I know they would never do that. There was a pastor that fell into immorality and, and sexual impurity, and, and many people are kind of on two sides of the fence. Although I believe that pastor, I believe he would never do that. Well, pastors are prone to sin. They can fall. They can for, fall short of God's glory. Now, I'm not saying we... We don't hold them in high regard, but not saying we trust everything that they say, but we have to look at it concerning Scripture. Are we thinking things that are reputable? Are we basing our opinion on things without even having facts? Well, I've done this. And here it is. It's the idea of whatever is worthy and avoids giving offense. We're to focus on things that are positive, not negative. Things that are constructive, not destructive. Things that are meant to build up and not tear down. 
But too often our thoughts are more worldly-centered than they are Christ-centered because of what we're dwelling on. The resetting of our mind is vitally important, but how can I truly have a reset mind towards Christ when I'm more focused on the world and all the garbage in it than I am of Christ? So Paul says these six things, first of all, whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is right or just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report or reputable. And then he basically throws everything into two final categories and this seventh and eighth thing in verse number eight. He says, if there be any virtue, what he's saying is this, whatever is excellent. The word virtue gives the idea of excellence. Too many Christians settle for mediocrity instead of striving for excellence. Good enough should never be your mantra. Now, let's think about it in this light. Suppose you're a business owner. I know we have many people in our church that are business owners. Wouldn't you love to have as a mantra your tagline, good enough? (laughs) My business is good enough. You probably wouldn't get much business because of that. We wouldn't settle for that in our life. We wouldn't settle for that in our job, our business. So why do we settle for that in our Christianity? Why do we settle for that in our thought loss? thought life. What Paul is saying, what we're supposed to think on are things that are excellent. If there be any virtue, God calls us to excel. He challenges us to go forward. He gives us the grace that we need to be the best version of ourselves that is pleasing to him. We're going to strive for excellence in a lot of areas of life, but are we striving it in our thought process? And then he closes out this verse by saying, if there be any praise, not only whatever is excellent, but also whatever is praiseworthy. Are our thoughts directing praise towards others as well as praise towards our Savior? Or are they only directing praise towards ourself? If it has virtue, it will motivate us to do better. If it has praise, it is worth commending others. I want to make an application here in just a few minutes as we close, but these aren't just helpful tips. When Paul is addressing the church at Philippi, he's not saying, you know what, I think it'd be good if you do this. No, he's, he's trying to command them to do this. Hey, if you want to have a thought process, a mind that is right with God and right standing, if you want to function optimally, in your thought process, then this is what you need to think on. Whatever is true, whatever is honest, whatever is just or right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, what's he say? Think on these things. In order to have a mind that's pleasing to Christ, we have to think on these things. So how do we change our thoughts? Paul gave us some great principles, but let me give you three, three quick principles to live by. First thing we must do is analyze our input. Analyze our input. What comes into our mind? What are we allowing into our mind? What are we allowing into our thoughts? As I read earlier, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, t- tells us to cast down those wicked, evil imaginations and take into captivity those thoughts 
that are besetting us, that are getting us off track, off course. First principle, analyze your input. Second principle is this, change your diet. If you go to the doctor and they tell you, hey, you're very unhealthy, and if you continue this pattern, you're going to die within so many days, so many years, whatever. Ah, they don't know anything. I'm not going to change my diet. I like this food group too much. Okay, that's fine. You can continue to live like that and eventually you get sicker. Eventually you'll probably die. So if you want your mind to get sicker, more worldly, then don't change your diet. Don't change your input. Don't change those negative thoughts. Continue to dwell on negativity. Continue to dwell in criticism. Continue to dwell in cynicism. But if you want to change, if you want to thrive, if you want to be joyful, then learn to change your diet. But then a third principle is very important. Examine your influence. I came across this and I thought it was good. You know, if you hang around pigs long enough, eventually you're going to start smelling like them. I'm not calling people pigs in here today, but if you hang out with people that are negative, what's eventually going to happen? You're going to be negative. You know, there are certain people that I don't like to be around. And one I see every day as I look in the mirror. Because I can be a negative person at times. So I have to analyze my input, change my diet, examine my influence. But we think sometimes like, when nobody ever wants to be around me. Why? Maybe it's because we're that negative Nancy, that critical Carl, right? Hopefully we don't have a Nancy or a Carl here today. But honestly, I've, I've, I've thought about that. There, honestly, there are certain people within the church or within the world, the community, that I, I have no desire to be around because they're always negative, and I know they're not going to build me up. They're just going to tear me down. They're going to draw me away from God. So in changing our diet, sometimes we have to change the friends, the influences in our lives. Sometimes we have to change the family. We have to change the people that we're around. If you're a negative person eventually you're going to rub off on someone else. And they're going to be negative. And others around you are going to be negative. So if you want to have a mind of Christ, get rid of that. Examine your influence. And really, we can continue on with more principles. That's why it's very important to focus on God and his word. Meditate on the scripture. And many of you have been doing that. But how often do we meditate on God's word? How often do we meditate on scripture? How often do we hide God's word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him? How often are we reading our Bibles? Not just to say, I read it and check it off the list, or I brought it to church on Sunday or Wednesday, and I read it when the pastor was preaching. If we're going to change our mind, we have to focus on Him, on His Word. But Paul finishes in verse number 9. Those things, what is he talking about? The things that I just talked about. The things which we have both learned and received, and heard and seen in me. You know, it's one thing to learn the truth, but it's another thing to receive it inwardly and make it a part of the inner man. Facts in the head are not enough. We also must have truth in our heart. I dare say that one of the greatest challenges and struggles that many of us face are our thoughts. And I told you last week that the resetting of our heart is the prerequisite for worship, but let me go a step further because this is very important and imperative to this whole lesson today. The resetting of our heart is prerequisite for worship, but the resetting of our minds will always lead to joy and peace. I say that with confidence because do you know why Paul was writing this specifically? Because he's trying to help them understand 
the peace of God. Look back at verse number four. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is a common theme in the book of Philippians. Having the joy, having abundant living. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made, unto God, made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The world is looking for peace and longing for peace, but in order to find peace, we must first find Christ. And then he gives us the principles. So you want the peace of God, that peace that passes all understanding? You want joy in your lives? Well, reset your mind. Peace is the byproduct of doing what we know to do. I think of what it says in Psalm 119, 165. I just forgot that verse. Hang on. Um... Oh, what does it say? That's why uh, I have my Bible here. Psalm 119, 165. I know it's, I know it, it's there somewhere. What? Hang on. I'm almost there. There it is. Great peace have they. There it is. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You want the peace of God? Things won't offend you if you're truly striving for God, striving for his word. Isaiah 26.3, I do remember this one. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. You want peace to rule your hearts and rule your lives? Then you have to have a mind that is stayed on Jesus Christ. If you think right, you'll do right. But if you do right, you'll also think right. Peace doesn't come to those who sit around and do nothing. An idle mind is the devil's workshop. We've heard that saying. But those who are busy serving the Lord don't usually have time for wrong thinking. But some of us, ah, it's not my job. I'll come when I want, do what I want, and that's it. All right. Then you'll never have full peace. You'll never have full joy. And you will always struggle with your mind. And you will always struggle with negative thinking. And you'll wonder why people don't want to be around you. Verse 9, I want to read that again as I close. He says, These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's the very next word? Do. Again, this is the command. Everything that I've just told you, everything that I've tried to instill within you, that I've tried to teach you, that you've seen in me, don't put it in one ear and let it go out the other ear. Do. And the God of peace shall be with you. That's the qualifier. We can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we respond and how we think about our circumstances. Peace rules the day when God rules the mind. If Christ is in our thoughts, then all these things in verse number eight will be there too. But if he is not in your mind, you won't be thinking on things that are true. You won't be thinking on things that are honest, that are lovely, that are just, that are pure, that are of good report. You won't be thinking praiseworthy things towards other people. You'll be thinking negative and critical things. You won't be having virtuous thoughts. You'll be having cynical thoughts. You know, this message is really about, I am what I think about. So here's the question. What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about? I believe this series is truly going to help transform our church. 
Because we have to first and foremost have a reset heart. A heart that is reset for God, for his word. But we also have to have a reset mind. It's not enough to say, God, I want you to reset my heart. God, reset my thoughts. Reset the input. And if there's things that are going in our minds that shouldn't be going in, maybe it's time to get rid of them. You can't change if you don't attempt to change. If you're critical people, maybe it's because you're around critical people. So get rid of those people that are critical in your life. And if it's you, I'm not saying get rid of yourself, but change. What did I say earlier? One of those negative thoughts is an unwillingness to change because it's not me. I'm not the problem. I'm the victim. It's their fault. And that's why churches get stagnant and die because we have that thought process. It's not my fault. It's the pastor's fault. If he would do better, if he would preach better messages, you know, that's true. I, I, I should preach better messages. I should live holier. I, I really should. I'm not trying to be sarcastic here. But it's not just on me. Now, I am going to stand and give an account of everything that God has called me to do, and he places me on a higher standard as his servant, as the preacher here, but when you get to heaven, you're going to stand and give an account of your own life, of your own actions, of your own thoughts. You know, last week, we had many of you come forward, and many of you did. I think we had 46 cards filled out, these reset cards, and it just says, Jesus, will you reset my... Many of you put these cards, and we put them up here on this, these little walls that we made, I think 46 cards were filled out. I think seven were talking about the mind and the thoughts. But really, this is something all of us need. Jesus, reset my mind. Reset my thoughts. Help me to focus on you. Help me to do what you call me to do. Romans chapter 12, another passage that Paul is giving, talks about the renewing of our mind. Is your mind renewed daily for Christ? I am what I think about. So what are you? Critical? Negative? Cynical? Someone no one wants to be around? Someone probably God doesn't even want to be around? Or are you thinking on things that are just and true and pure and lovely, right, praiseworthy, virtuous? What are you thinking about today? Heads bowed and eyes closed.